Welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining me, as always, for another episode of the School of Travel's podcast. I'm recording this message to you today on June 21st, the official first day of summer, and I thought it would be a perfect time to introduce you to Ashley Clausen, an American girl who in 2019 quit her job, got rid of most of her possessions, and set off on a journey by herself to hike every one of the national parks in the lower 48 United States. For those of you who might not know what I mean by lower 48, this means every U.S. state except for Alaska and Hawaii which of course also have amazing national parks. Ashley accomplished her goal in only five months in a way that I think is achievable for most of us that may want to do part of this journey ourselves. Ashley drove from park to park and chose her favorite day hikes in every park. Ashley and I discuss how she planned her route, what she packed, what she ate, and where she slept as she made her way from one national park to the next. We are also going to discuss Ashley's favorite national parks and parks that she considers hidden gems for you to take note of for your next big hiking adventure. So, are you ready for a hike? Let me introduce you now to Ashley. Welcome to episode 59 of the School of Travels podcast. Today, I'm here with Ashley Clausen. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having me. Ashley, I'm really excited to talk with you today because I've heard a lot about you from my friend, Anna, and she says that you're honestly the strongest hiker she's ever hiked with. And when she started telling me more about your hiking stories, I was really excited to find out that you have hiked all of the U.S. national parks in within one year. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Well, thank you, Anna, for the compliment. But yeah, yeah, I went on a, a national parks trip. I... Uh, ended up leaving uh, my job at Apple. I was there for almost 10 years and getting rid of all my stuff, you know, leaving my apartment behind um, and just taking my car on the road. And it took me just over five months. There's about 50 parks in the U.S. And yeah, just kind of driving around the U.S., hopping to, hopping to uh, each of the parks and exploring them, going on a couple of hikes at, e- uh, at each one. And yeah, Pretty much uh, the best experience of my life um, was amazing, and then yeah, then going uh, overseas from there and uh, wow, in Asia for a while, and then uh, uh, going to Europe for a few months. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> okay, I'm like, where do I even begin? So first of all, um, I think this is great. It's June, and I know that yeah. you know people are starting to be able to travel again, especially wanting to get out in nature. It's that time of year, so I think it'd be great to hear more about this journey that you went on throughout all of these parks. But before we do, I just want to get a bit of your background. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're originally from in the U.S., and what did you, what was your travel life like when you were young? Did you travel a lot or not? Yeah, great question. Well, um, I was born and raised in California, in the Bay Area, and what's really funny is I didn't really travel much when I was young. My parents kind of kept locally uh, to California. They're big advocates of California. They both still live here. Um, So we got out to the national park sometimes. Um, you know, I made it to Yosemite a couple of times when I was younger and really loved the park. It's still one of my favorite parks. 
but outside of that, no, we, we didn't really go to other countries or anything like that. So that was kind of something I did on my own when I was 18. I uh, enlisted in the military and I think just kind of bouncing around to different states and really kind of, you know, just experiencing different places kind of sparked my desire to travel. And then, yeah, later on, you know, as an adult, you know, I first went to China and then India and then some other places and really kind of hasn't stopped from there. You know, my most recent trip was in Indonesia and I was there for almost a year, primarily because of COVID. I was supposed to go to some other places as well. But um, yeah, that's kind of like what my my travel journey looks like. Wow. So first I want to ask about the enlisting in the military. Was that something yeah. you've been thinking about for a while or was it, you know, kind of a spur of the moment thing? I don't know if you had met a recruiter somewhere or did you see that as your tool to travel? Yeah, kind of kind of a mixture of both. Um, I was pretty young. Uh, they, you know, show up at your high school and fill your auditorium and, you know, talk about the benefits of, you know, joining, joining the military. And one of the things that they um, really advocate is the travel piece. And I was super interested in hearing that. And so, yeah, I think part of it was a spur of the moment thing. And part of it, you know, was to kind of fulfill my desire to travel. There's also some other benefits and, you know, there's the honor piece and serving your country and all of those things. And I, so I think it was like a multitude of reasons. But yeah, I'm super happy I, I joined because I feel like that really kind of like not just sparked my interest, but gave me the, the courage to travel. So, yeah, that's kind of where things things began. And how was boot camp? Because I hear so much about it as someone who's never been in the military. Uh, did it do you, did it all those things you learned at boot camp carry with you up to now? I, I've heard a lot of stories from people that have been in the military? Yeah, I think it really is based on the person's experience and the branch of service that you're in. In the Air Force, it's a pretty, it's comparatively easy. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, to, to the uh, in comparison to the other uh, branches or so I've heard, um, so I've only, you know, been in the Air Force. Um, but in hearing stories uh from the other branches. Yeah. It seems like we've had it a bit easier. I think ours was only like six weeks long, but it was just a lot of the, you know, get up, you know, super early, uh, do a lot of physical fitness exercises and, you know, learn how to shoot guns and (laughs) things of that nature. You know, it's, it's really just to kind of, I, I feel like to get you into a position mentally and physically, you know, when, when an order is presented in front of you, you don't question it, you just follow through. And I really think that that's, that's the purpose behind it, behind it. So yeah, I, I feel like it was just like a lot of, uh, a lot of structure. I had a lot of fun on the obstacle courses. I thought it was great. <laughs> I love, I love the physical fitness part. I'm like, cool, we're going on another run. I'm so down. Like, uh, that's my thing. So I, I actually really enjoyed it, but yeah, it does. It, it is a pretty stressful, stressful time. There's a, yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> How long did you end up staying in the military? I just stayed in for one enlistment. So, you know, initially I was like, you know, maybe I'll be a lifer and I'll do, you know, the 20 years and, you know, retire at 38. Uh, you know, I, I thought about it, but I think I got to a point where I was like, you know, I kind of want to choose where I'd like to live. I was I was stationed in Minot, North Dakota, which is a really remote base. And, you know, I made it up to Canada a couple of times when I was there and I thought it was super beautiful. And I think I was just like, you know, I'm at a point where I've done my stint and I, I'd like to decide where, where I'm going to live next and, and things like that. Like I wanted to have uh, more decision-making ability over my, over my life. Right. And, 
and what I would be doing. And so at that time, I, I just thought it was uh, the best thing for me to, to get out and explore. I think I would feel the same, especially if I, if, if for me joining the military was partly about travel, I would see all these opportunities in front of me and I would have gotten the courage through the military experience to travel wider and, and further. And I would be ready to do it on my own. I can totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was great. I'm, I'm glad I did it. Um, but yeah, I think it, you know, it, it served its purpose for me and me for it and it was time to, to break away. All right. So you were saying you went to China, you went to India, and then you, I, I, from what I understand from our, our mutual friend, Anna, you were in Austin, Texas, working at Apple, um, like yeah. you said. And what what led up to you deciding that you were finally going to leave Apple and get on the road and start traveling again? It's funny. I kind of tell people that I had like a pre-midlife crisis. <laughs> you know, I'm 35 and I see all these people kind of like doing the gap year thing in Europe. And I was like, you know, I've never done that. You know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit older, you know, I've done, you know, these like week long trips. I feel like in, in America, you know, as a culture, we're like, okay, we get our 10 days off a year or whatever it is based on whichever company you're working for and how much time you have, you have allocated to vacation. And, you know, a lot of people do staycations or, you know, maybe you quickly fly, fly to, you know, Thailand or uh, Bali or whatever, you know, bucket list destination you have for like a week. And I, I just felt as though, you know, I didn't really get to fully experience something like that. Um, so that was kind of in the back of my mind. And I also just like had this urge to, to visit all of the national parks. And I knew it sounded, I knew it sounded uh, kind of wild. So I actually, I actually met up with Anna. We went to like a little pub and I was just like, you know, I have this idea. I really, I really think that I could do it. I've seen, I've seen a map of this online. It was like some kind of like ultimate vacation or ultimate road trip map. And it didn't include all of the parks, but it included some of them. And I was like, you know, I think I'm going to take some time and I think I'm going to go to every single national park. And her and I were just like, we just started planning it. I was like, okay, I think, uh, you know, maybe I'll start up North because it, you know, because of the weather, right. It just gets super cold up there. And with the snow conditions, I, I, I have, experience hiking up in Maine for when, for when I lived out there and, and the conditions can get pretty rough. And so we kind of like, you know, kind of loosely went over it and I was like, okay, it's still an idea. Let's, let's see if I, if I do it, there wasn't like a ton of, of planning around it. It was pretty loose planning. And, you know, I, I finally was just like, I, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. I got rid of all my stuff and, um, you know, just bought some camping and hiking gear, went through like a knoll, <laughs> knolls, first aid and, uh, wilderness first aid course and took some courses on like how to like clean water and build fires and stuff like that through REI, um, which were pretty fun and just kind of like did some things to prep and, and, and then I just kind of hit the road and just went for it. And yeah, uh, took me like five and a half months and yeah, pretty much just went to every park and, you know, didn't really have like a, a huge agenda. I would just look up a, a couple of the best hikes at each park and try to make it a point to do those and, you know, stopped at some other cities and major destinations along the way. And yeah, just had a complete blast. It was, it was, it changed my life. And then after that, yeah, went to Indonesia. <laughs> wow. So, okay. First of all, you said you were doing some planning and you were getting some gear. Um, what kind of gear did you find most helpful for you on the trip? Like, what would you recommend for people if they are going to do lots of, um, I, I assume they were day hikes that you were taking? 
Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm a big day hiker. I don't really do, I'm not, I'm not a backpacker. So for me, it's just like, I, I like light stuff. So I think, I, I mean, I think the obvious things are right are, are a great pair of boots. I love Keens. Um, I've, I've found them to be like super durable and waterproof and one pair got me through every park and they're still holding up great. And then obviously a very durable and lightweight backpack that fits, fits well on your hips. So you don't bear the weight on your shoulders. Um, and I love, I love my Osprey. Um, I'm a huge fan of Osprey, super durable backpack and my backpack is still kicking too, <laughs> but I have another one just in case. They have a um, lifetime guarantee, don't they? Yeah, I heard, I heard about that. But the funny thing is that I felt like I've not even needed to use that <laughs> because the, the backpack <laughs> is just so awesome. Yeah, it's held up really well. I think it's got a couple of, you know, it's got its, you know, fair share of scuffs and small holes and things like that. But, you know, it's been every park. Um, and then, you know, obviously a first aid kit, you know, uh, wound care kit and things like that. Super important. Um, you know, when going through the Knowles courses, they stress that one of the most important things in, in terms of taking care of like any kind of wound or anything like that is, is irrigation. Um, so I have like a little irrigation tool and you can, you can make a first aid kit pretty lightweight. Um, but I would say above all, you know, safety is the most important thing, right? And, uh, I feel that the most important device that I, that I had that I was carrying with me was my little Garmin inReach. Uh, so essentially it's a little, uh, device uh, that has an SOS button on it and you press it if you're in distress and uh, apparently a helicopter or something or whatever they need to send your way comes comes to rescue you and because I was doing um, you know these hikes solo there was a couple I invited friends on but for the most part solo um, you know that was super important to me that you know I would be safe so I would say that that's probably arguably the most important thing that I that I took with me yeah. Okay. Wow. Thank you for the, that advice. And also I'm wondering about the water bottle because whenever I go on a hike, I'm always like, should I bring a water bottle or should I get one of those camel packs uh, where, where I'm sucking out of a tube? What, what, yeah. do you, what, did, what did you like to use on those hikes? I use that. I use the, I, I use the bladder. Um, and I think I had like the three liters. So mine was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty large, but, um, it, I mean, that's super important as well to stay hydrated, you know, especially when you're like uh, hiking those southern par- parks, um, they get super hot. I, you know, I've once done uh, Angels in the Grand Canyon when it was like 100 and something out, which is probably not the brightest idea. Um, it was just super hot that day. And uh, yeah, you it, that water definitely comes in handy. And I'd rather my my pack be a little bit heavier in terms of, of you know, the water portion. And, you know, by the time I'm at the end of the hike, you know, my backpacks lightened up pretty significantly. So I really don't, you know, get too bothered, bothered by it. And, you know, if I carry a little bit more weight, it's a, it's a better workout, <laughs> but everything else that I have in my backpack, I like to keep a uh, super lightweight, like pretty much the bulk of my weight, uh, is water. Yeah. I can't really stress this enough for anybody who's read Cheryl Strayed's wild as well, which was made into the movie with Reese Witherspoon. Most of that book is about how her pack was too heavy for her and possibly heavier than her body. And it, on the hikes wow. I've been on, it's always the thing. It's like, you you think you have to pack all this stuff, but pack really as light as you can. But like you said, water is the most important. So keep the water, go heavy on the water. Yeah, go heavy on the water. And yeah, you know, ditch the ditch the heavy bottle for, um, you know, for a Nalgene or for, you know, the bladders that the, the pack that's carrying the water doesn't take up too much weight. 
yeah, little things like that uh, really matter when you've got that heavy, heavy pack on your back. I also have to ask you, Ashley, about the food that you would eat every day. Like I've seen so many different like little gummy sugar squares that give you energy that you can buy. What what did you like to pack for the food portion? This is really funny because I don't know that other hikers usually usually eat this, but I'm also a runner. And so I had some extra goo packs and I love goo packs because I just squirt a little bit of a gel in my mouth there uh, the electrolytes and I feel like they go pretty far um you know I can just carry one small little pack and I feel like I don't even consume the whole thing uh on a hike and you know more often than not I'm just eating like trail mix and things like that you know some of these hikes are only like you know five miles or so and you know for something like that I'm not you know hauling like huge bags of trail mix or anything like I'll, I'm I'm fine with a couple of you know a couple of small snack bars Um, but for the longer hikes, you know, if I'm going on, like, you know, if I'm hiking, you know, Grinnell Glacier or something like that, (laughs) um, if I'm doing a, if I'm doing a large hike, you know, I'll take a, I'll take some extra electrolytes and things like that. But I, I, I like goo packs. I'm partial to them. Uh, they hand them, they hand them out all the time, uh, when you're running longer races, like taps or marathons. And, and so I'm pretty acclimated to the taste. So I stick with those. I actually really like them too. I was wondering if you were going to feel the same. Um, yeah. I was introduced to them when I started doing longer hikes and you really do get used to them. And I, I found them to be a bit pricey per pack, like in these fancy hiking stores, but they're worth it because you're saving a lot of space on the food. A ton of space, a ton of space. Yeah. Yeah. I see people like, you know, sometimes I'll go with my friends on like, like I went with my friend recently on a small, like two, two mile hike. And she's like, we need these trail mix and we need this, like these candy bars and this like chocolate mix or whatever she's reading. She, she like stuffed her backpack full of food. And I was like, I mean, that's cool. And it was awesome. She made like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And, but you know, I, I and I don't know, I, I don't pack like that. Um, but no, it was cute. We, we went on our little hike and had a, you know, sat by the waterfall and had a cute little picnic and things like that. But yeah, me, I'm like, okay, what, what strategically, like how far am I going and how much food do I actually need to consume on the hike? You know, cause when I'm done, I'll eat, you know? Um, I also think, you know, it's important to think in terms of like emergencies, you know? Um, Definitely. But I think that, um, you know, the human body can go a little bit longer without food, you know, versus water. So I think it's important to have, you know, not only water, but maybe like something to cleanse your water, like a filter or something like that. I know that there's little, I forgot what the, what the chemical composition though, what, what the chemical composition is, but I know that there's little, like, um, there's like a chemical that you can drop into your water that you like pull out from whatever water source. I forgot what it's called. You can carry some of those. Um, but what I found that I liked is the life straw because it's super light and compact and you can actually drink like directly out of a river. <laughs> wow. I have never used that straw. That's yeah, it's super cool. absolutely yeah. crucial. Yes, it was, it was definitely crucial as well. That, that was another thing that I, that I always carried on me. I never had to use it. You know, I feel like I carried enough water with me, but that was more so like if I am in an emergency situation, I run out of water, I'll find a water source and I'll use this, you know, life straw. So Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, so what was a typical, first of all, I'm, I'm trying to get a picture in my mind of where you started with this hike and then where you ended up at the end. Yeah. So I started, um, so I started up North and I kind of, um, moved 
counterclockwise around the United States so that I could knock out the um, the parks that would uh, be getting a little bit cooler more quickly. Um, and so what time of the year did you start? What it was like end of summer. Yeah, oh, okay. because I actually went to New Mexico for a little bit first. I was um, working on uh, these sustainable houses called Earthships. I had heard about them. They like they make these houses out of like tires and like recyclable items and like cans and bottles and and things like that and uh you should look them up online they're very cool they're yeah earth ships um at any rate i had gone there for a couple of weeks to work on these earth ships i was like i just want to volunteer to do this I, I did a lot of volunteer work actually before i left on my trip this is one of the things i wanted to do i did that for a couple of weeks and then i head straight to acadia in maine and i started at acadia kind of yeah moved counterclockwise throughout the united states from there so definitely finished all of the parks in the north first and and I'm glad that I did um right. because that, that, that they would be rough in the fall so yeah, yeah that been, makes sense yeah I've been hiking in uh in Maine in, in the fall and in the winter and uh yes the conditions get get pretty rough out there you know um especially like in the Mount Washington area and and things like that so you have to be you have to be very careful and I, and I think they, you know, the rangers might not, not even let you hike if, you know, the conditions are, are that poor, you know, so it made sense to, to get that done in the summer. Um, when you went to all these national parks, was there a national parks pass that it was, does it, is it good for all of those parks or were you paying each time you went to a park to get in? Oh. How did that work? Yeah, I got the parks pass. I think it's 80 bucks still. Yeah. And I, I get one, I get one every year. It, yeah, it lasts for a year and it, it grants you admission in, into every park. That would have been a very <laughs> expensive trip otherwise because each park, the entry fee is like 20 to 30 bucks, somewhere around there, depending upon the park that you go to, right? And usually you can buy like a single day or a, a seven day pass. So if you're just going to one park for the year, that's, you know, the, the obvious choice to make. But if you're, if you're going to, I would say two, 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 three or four parks, like, you know, get a pass. Well, I think everybody should get a pass. Visit our national parks. They're great. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and does that include parking as well? Because I know you had a car and you were driving from park to park and doing the hikes. Yeah. I've never seen a, a paid parking in a national park. I've never had to pay. Yeah. So I don't know if there's like a certain section that if you park in a, a, a you know, certain section, you have to pay for it. And now you have to pay for camping. But in terms of like just parking at the trailhead, I've never seen a charge for that at, at any national park. So one reason I'm asking is because I was sp I spent some time in the UK in 2019 in the summer doing some hikes. And I realized that they had a similar kind of parks pass or like manor pass. But if you didn't have that, they they you not only would you have to pay for entrance to the park or the manor, but also parking. And so. I haven't hmm. gone through the national parks very much in the U.S., so I was wondering if it was similar. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I feel like they just integrate all the fees into that into that uh, initial cost um, or into the park pass, however they work that out. Yeah, I, I've never had to pay for it. <laughs> but this is a great deal. I mean, wow, you save it's so much money. It's an excellent deal. Yeah, excellent deal. And yeah, I get one every year because, you know, every year I tend to, to visit, you know, a few parks and, you know... I'm in California now. So when things start opening up again, you know, depending on where I'm at with my applications overseas and, you know, what, how things pan out there, I will probably at some point be visiting the parks here. California has some of the, some of the best parks in my opinion. 
That was actually my next question. Let's talk about yep. some of these parks out of the many, many that you went to. What were some of your favorites? Oh man. Okay. So, you know, it kind of, it kind of depends on what you're looking for. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, a rock climber, you might favor Yosemite. And if you're just looking uh, for scenery, you may favor Yellowstone. Um, you know, if you want like big, big mountain hikes, you know, you might, you know, favor North Cascades, um, Red Rocks, Arches, Bryce, uh, Capitol Reef, things like that. Um, so it's hard to say which ones are my favorite because they all offer such different scenery, right? Um, but I will say that, you know, a favorite of mine will always be Yosemite, um, just because I was born and raised in the area. I'd been there uh, a couple of times as a kid. Um, you know, during my national park trip, I actually went there more than once. I think I went there like a couple of times. And when I was done with the trip, I went back <laughs> because I just love it so much. It just has so many beautiful hiking trails. You're going to get that great workout and then see some waterfalls along the way. Um, what, what are a couple can't? I'm sorry to interrupt you. What are a couple can't miss spots in Yosemite? I, I've actually uh, never been to Yosemite, so trying to imagine this. My favorite is Vernal Falls because it's like, um, it's the thing is with Vernal Falls, it's a highly trafficked trail. So, but the thing is, like, you know, a lot of the, uh, the trails at Yosemite are <laughs> because it's such a popular park. But for people that maybe aren't big hikers, but just want to see like a super beautiful location, uh, Vernal Falls is a very um, well-paved, heavily trafficked, um, kind of uh, easy to hike uh, little trail. And it brings you to just this beautiful, gorgeous waterfall that, you know, more often than not, I can't think of a time I've been to Vernal Falls and there hasn't been a rainbow. So I've taken like a bunch of friends there because it's just like a beautiful, gorgeous site. Now, if you want to, if you want a great workout and a great view. I would say uh, Clouds Rest is a great hike. Um, and, it, and when I went on Clouds Rest last time, I only saw maybe like less than 10 other people. And when you get to the top of Clouds Rest, I mean, you can just see like all of Yosemite, Half Dome, everything. So that's a great hike. Um, if you're just driving through the, the park, if you're not, if you don't want to hike at all, <laughs> um, <laughs> and you just want to kind of like see some views, um, you can hit Tunnel View. You can hit um, uh, uh, Glacier Point. Glacier Point is super beautiful. Um, and yeah, you, you can hike, you can hike to, uh, or not, uh, yeah, it's Glacier Point. You can hike to Glacier Point, um, or you can just drive there. So one time I, I hiked it and I got to the top and I was like, oh, uh, when I wasn't so familiar with the park, I was like, oh, everybody just kind of drove up here. Okay. <laughs> and I'm just there with my, my hiking boots. And I was like, well, um, but I got the workout in. So that was great. So those are some, those are some kind of like iconic spots that you can, uh, go look at. And then of course, you know, you've got upper and lower Yosemite falls and, and things like that. Uh, there's just so many places to, to mention in Yosemite alone. It's just, yeah. If you have not been to Yosemite, that needs to be on your bucket list. Yosemite and Yellowstone, you, you've got to do those two parks. You, you can't miss them. Um, I'm going to do them next year, Ashley. I'm making, you have to, I'm yeah. <laughs> letting it be known now. Yeah. 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 Listeners, it's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe great. I can go with you, Ashley. Let's let's, oh, let's keep in touch that. about this. Yes, I yeah. would love that. I'm always down, yeah. Okay, now I do have to admit most of the parks you said I have heard of before, but I'm wondering if you have some under the radar or like hidden gem national parks that you would recommend to people. Um, let's see. Hidden gem. I would say 
you know, I hadn't really heard of uh, North Cascades. I'm, I'm sure, you know, big hikers, especially people in the PM, PNW, you know, have, but I, I hadn't really. And uh, there's a hike at North Cascades called Cascade Pass. And oh, wow, it is beautiful. It's it's almost like you're looking at a photograph, it, you know, the, the scenery. It's almost it's just unreal. And I went with a friend um, for a sunset hike. She actually met me for one of the hikes at that particular park for a sunset hike and then hiking back in the dark. But we were together, so it was fine. But just absolutely beautiful during sunset. And you can probably also catch some similar um, views or very nice views during sunrise as well if you don't want to hike back in the dark. It's a strenuous hike as well, so you're going to get a great workout and just great mountain views. So I would say after seeing North Cascades, that definitely bumped up into my top five. Um, I didn't even know about it um, before I went on the trip, so didn't know much about it. Yeah. How about some parks in the southeastern part of the U.S.? I don't hear as much about that region. It's like I know California and the Pacific Northwest in particular are right. very famous. But is, is there was there any part of that region of the U.S. that you found surprising or another hidden gem? I think, uh, I mean, I, I think a lot of people have heard of the Everglades. Um, but, uh, you know, being there is like a whole nother experience. You can do like boat rides down there. You're, you're, you're walking down these these paths and you'll just see gators just lying and, you know, taken in the sun. And, uh, you know that park was very cool. Um, they're not like, you know, strenuous hike parks. They're very like easygoing, chill. Um, um, but the cool thing is they're pretty easy to navigate. Um, um, a lot of foot traffic there. You'll see a lot of tourists and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, when I went to the Everglades and I literally walked by a couple of gators, I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is just insane. Like, they're just out here doing their thing. They're not caged in. And I'm like, you know, just walking a few feet away from them and they're not bothered by me. And, you know, I was a little bit scared at first. Um, but yeah, that was just, a, that was just a very cool experience. And then of course you've got, um, I know that you had said you'd been here before, uh, dry tortugas is super cool. Oh yes, uh, That yeah. was one I had not yeah. heard of until Anna introduced yeah. it to me. I yeah. had neither. I had neither. And you actually have to take, um, you have to take that boat to get there. And so you go to that little kind of island. And I loved that because that was my one time that I actually snorkeled on the trip. So I had like a bunch of fun. I never really snorkeled before that. It's funny because now I like, now I'm a certified diver. I did some advanced, uh, I got my advanced um, diver uh, certification in Indonesia. So it's so funny because I started off like snorkeling and I was like, oh my God, my head's underwater. This is crazy. Um, So it's funny to kind of think back on that but it was just cool to like hang out in the water see all the fish and yeah uh, I loved that park as well it's a little bit expensive it's probably the most expensive uh, park to get to because the um, boat ticket is like 250 bucks so uh, you're definitely yeah. gonna, you're gonna pay <laughs> you're definitely gonna pay for that one I only did a day trip because it's all I had time for and man do those spots book fast like I couldn't get on the boat um, I couldn't book a ticket online and I didn't realize like how popular this place was going to be. And so I remember talking to one of the guys that worked there and I was like, Hey, look, I'm on this like national park trip. I've got to like, I've got to see this place. Like it's, it's on my list. Like I, I don't like, I've got to do every park, you know, it's, it's my thing. And he's like, that's insane. He's like, well, come here like an hour before we open tomorrow. And if there's any cancellation or way we can get you on the boat, like we'll get you on. And, you know, uh, 
thanking my lucky stars. Like I show up an hour early and he gets me on the boat and I was so excited. And yeah, I just had a blast. It's dry tortugas. If you have an extra 250 bucks kicking around and you don't know where to spend it, that's a, that's a good way to, to use your money. So I love it. That was more than three times the cost of the parks pass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But it's a great trip if you're going down to the Florida Keys. It's just if you're yeah. going to be down there for a week or so or more, just like kind of work that in to make sure you can get the boat ticket. It's well worth it. Yes, yes, for sure. For sure. Definitely. Oh, so cool. Okay, do you yeah. have, let's let's say, one more hidden gem for us? Oh, let's see. Hidden gem. It's, it's hard. Like there's so much. There's so much to I choose from. I know. There's so many parks to choose from. Let's see. You know, I don't know that many people have heard of Acadia. I mean, maybe, maybe so. I mean, definitely people that are in in the state of Maine. You know, um, but I would say that that's probably another favorite for me, just because I spent uh, a few a few years living up in Maine. And I've been to that park a few times as well. And that park is just super cool because it has like, like a, like a rocky coast and like a cool area where you can like hang out on this little beach. I think it's called sand beach. And there's a little hike really close by, uh, called the beehive. And that hike is like a little bit technical. Like these, they've got these rungs kind of, uh, hooked in to the sides of the rocks there. And you kind of have to use them to get through these like small vertical stints to get to the top of this this little hike and the view is just incredible at the top. So I don't know. I, I, I feel like a lot of people know about Acadia, but for the people maybe on the West coast, uh, that haven't, you know, been to the, the East coast national parks, that's definitely, definitely one to visit Acadia and Maine and definitely one of my favorites. Wow. Such fantastic tips. And also I, I always hear from Europeans now that I'm living over here in Europe that they're like the big dream is to do like, you know, an across a cross country U.S. trip in an RV because apparently the RV features you can get in the U.S. are so much better than in Europe. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Huh, yeah, there's a lot of rules in Europe about RVs. Um, I've recently started traveling in one off and on, and yeah, my like my boyfriend who has the RV, he's like, I am so jealous of all those YouTube videos with RVs in the states, and they're just. They look like mansion RVs compared to what we can do over here. So, oh wow! So there's like limitations in terms of how you can modify them and things like that in Europe. Or? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And the and the size and everything else. So uh, it's um it. it's it's a dream of so many people to do that. And these tips are really going to help people. I think. Oh yeah, and I hope uh, you know this isn't the last time I love the van life. And you know, when when all is said and done, and I you know end up wherever I end up, um, you know, whenever I'm retired and things like that, I will, I I would love <laughs> to come back to the United States and and do this national park trip again. You know, when I can kind of like spend more time at each location. You know, just a few days at some of these locations, I feel is 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 not enough. You know, you know Yellowstone. You know, I did a week there, a week or so, and you know, I, I feel like I could have done much longer, you know? So yeah, when I'm, when I'm retired and, you know, I've, I've got all my ducks in a row and things like that. I, I definitely want to, I definitely want to do this again. And I just, I just love the national park. So definitely a huge fan. When you did the, the day hiking, when did you typically start hiking in the morning and when did you finish? Like, what was your typical hiking day like? It depends on the duration of the hike. Like if it was a longer hike, I'd get up a little bit earlier. Um, 
but you know, some of my hikes, I would start, um, I would start a little bit like, uh, I don't want to say evening, but maybe like if it was like a few mile hike, maybe like at three, cause I liked when it was like cooler. Um, ah, but if it, okay. yeah. And, um, I am not a morning person. So some people are like, <laughs> let's get out and do this sunrise hike. And I'm like, Oh, you guys enjoy that. Um, I will hike as quickly as I can to catch up to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love, I love yeah. the honesty here. I'm like, I thought you were yeah. going to say 5am. So nope, I think I, a lot of nope, people just me. breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like sunset hikes. Those are my favorite. Um, yeah, you know, especially if the trail's really easy to navigate, you know, you you take your light and 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 you're good, you know. Um, especially if the trail's like heavily trafficked. Uh, so yeah, I love sunset hikes and yeah, you know, one, once in a while I'll get up and I'll do a I'll do a sunrise hike and you know like like I did with with Anna when we went to oh what is what is that place called? I'm forgetting the name of it with the crazy waterfalls in. Um, I wish I had Anna next to me in uh, the Grand Canyon area. I can't think of the name. Oh, Havasu? Havasu Falls? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. The last time I did, like, a real legitimate sunrise hike was with Anna at Havasu Falls. And, oh, man, that was worth it. That was a that was a long, strenuous hike, and those waterfalls are crazy. Havasu is another, like, must-do. If, if, you, if you like strenuous hikes... And if you like waterfalls, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, uh, it's a rough hike in and a, and a rough hike out. So, um, and you, and you've got to have a, have a lot of water. You got to get up early too. And, uh, those passes are pretty difficult to get as well. I believe, um, you enter into a lottery. Um, I love traveling with Anna because she, uh, takes care of all that stuff for us. Usually, <laughs> Whenever she has something in mind that she wants to do, she like, she's like, send me over the cash. I'm going to take care of all the, uh, you know, all the behind the scenes stuff and just show up and we're good. And so I love traveling with her, but, um, but yeah, another, another bucket list hike, have a Sue. Yes. And, and like you said, like if you don't have an Anna with you in the group plan ahead, because they, plan these things are the, the passes for certain parks, for certain places in the States, you really have to do your research because they've become so popular that, like you said, lottery systems, like you're, you've got to be the first one that clicks in the minute the passes open, you know, th- there's different systems. Yeah. yeah. Places like that, the wave, uh, antelope's pretty easy actually to get into comparatively but the waves really hard and uh half dome for example i've been trying to hike half dome for like years there was like a, a point where i had applied like three years in, the ro- in a row and couldn't get in and that's like oh. rough because you have to um you have to really be physically fit in order to do that hike so you have to train 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 for it and then you might not get it you know um oh. yeah one one year one year one year i'm gonna be up there on half dome waving <laughs> posting my pictures on uh, instagram or whatever and yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get up there one year. I know you will. Okay. So I know you were traveling with a car from park to park. Yes. Where did, where were you staying at night? Were you camping oh, or were you so. staying in hotels? Yeah, I honestly camped very little. Um, there's a couple of times like, uh, along the way I would meet up with friends if I had the opportunity to, some of them didn't hike with me. I'd just be like, Hey, I'm in the city that you're in. Like, let's hang. So sometimes I stayed with them, but most of the time I like stayed in my car and people are just like blown away by this. They're like, you just slept in your car. And I'm like, yes, I absolutely did. I did. And I felt safe. And I think part of that is like just my personality. I would just, uh, basically park in, um, in areas that were like pretty populated truck stops, things like that. And yeah, no one ever bothered me. 
never had a problem, always felt safe. Um, yeah. Which, okay. you know, <laughs> I, I mean, that's, a, that's that offers so much flavor. flexibility. That's not journey. Yeah. yeah. That's not, that's not what everybody maybe, um, would want to do. You can certainly like, um, you know, you can certainly camp at the parks or just outside of the parks. And I did that a couple of times. It was just, um, more rare that I did that. There's also websites that kind of list free campsites. Um, I can't think of the name of them, but, uh, you know, you could just Google like, you know, website to show me free, free campsites. I don't know, something like that. And yeah, you, you could do that as well. And there's, you know, probably places that you could say for pretty cheap as well. There's KOAs, um, you know, and there's also camping within the national parks. I just know that sometimes uh, there's, there's a wait list for those things. So you'll definitely want to book ahead if that's something you want to do. And of course, the more expensive option, which is probably, you know, like maybe an Airbnb or hotel, things of that nature. Um, you could do that as well. But me, I was like, nope, I don't know where I'm ended up at the end of the day. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to drive to the next location sleep and then and I'm off to the next hike I love it I love you this is such a flexible plan you could just you yeah. know you don't you don't need a hotel you can just you know do it however you want to do it as long as you're comfortable with it so yes <laughs> <laughs> okay well you said that hiking this trip this trip with all the parks in the U.S. that it changed your life how did it change your life oh man yeah I I think it's just one of those things where I kind of like feel this way about American culture, which is totally cool. But like, I, I feel like you get out of high school, you go right into college, you work, 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 you know, pretty much when I got out of high school, I went right into the military and then just, you know, went into college, worked full time, went to grad school, worked full time, you know, did all of these things. And I feel like I put a lot of my energy into um, my education um, and my career, but I didn't really take that uh, time and focus it inwards. And I think that's why I was so like, you know, attracted to the, to the gap year thing. I was like, you know, they do this in Europe. Like we should really do this in the U S like it, it's such an awesome, um, you know, experience like in retrospect now looking back, I just feel like, you know, it really gave me time to just focus on myself and who I am and, and what I want in life and kind of like, you know, just taking time to drive and sit with your thoughts and, you know, it's, it's a super meditative and just cool experience, um, to just give yourself that time, you know, yeah, it was super important. And, you know, it, it gave me the chance to just be bold and, and brave and, and do things on my own, you know, um, doing the trip solo was very cool going to Indonesia solo and just meeting so many people from so many different countries, like all over the world and, and being there for more than, you know, seven or 10 days, which is the amount of time I would usually take, you know, for a vacation, it's, it's completely different. And I'm sure you can attest to this, you know, visiting a country for seven days and, and living there for a year, the, the experience is completely different. And, uh, that was also life-changing as well. So yeah, just taking can, the time and focusing it inwards, you know? Yeah, I can certainly understand that. And, and you're right. There is no comparison, and, and yes, it sounds like you went through this hiking experience and then went over to Indonesia not that long after. Yeah. When I was done um, with the hiking trip, I was like, okay, um, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and go back to work now. And then I was like, ah, no, I think, I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go somewhere else. I think I can go to another country. So I'm like sitting, I'm sitting with my thoughts. I'm like, was that enough time? Okay. It took six months. You know, I'm 
I think I, I still needed to like shift gears, right? I was still like, oh gosh, I really should like go back to work and get a job. And I was like, well, you know, I still have these funds that I'm working with. I still could reasonably make this trip happen. I'm just going to take a risk and do it. I'll just go for a month and then I'll go to Australia for a little bit and maybe New Zealand and then I'll come back and then, and then I'll go ahead and work. And then I go there, uh, uh, to Indonesia and COVID happened. That was in February. So typically when you go to Indonesia, you can get a 30 day visa on arrival, which is free, or you can pay, I think it's like 35 bucks or something like that for an extendable visa. And it allows you to stay for, uh, 60 days, right? So you, you renew it, you essentially go there, you pay the 35 bucks, then you pay to renew your visa after 30 days. So you could stay for two months. But because COVID happened, they, um, people that were trying to like leave and go home, their flights were just being canceled. I had people, I had friends from like the Netherlands and uh, Switzerland, Canada, um, trying to fly home and their tickets were just getting canceled. Um, so we were like, okay, well, it looks like we're going to be surfing and diving and uh, hiking volcanoes a little bit longer. And that's not really a problem for any of us. <laughs> so um, the cool thing was, is Indonesia kind of recognized this and recognized that a lot of tourists uh, that could leave, um, were leaving, um, pretty, pretty rapidly because, you know, there was such a scare around the, the pandemic. And, uh, so they started offering emergency visas. So instead of being able to stay for 30 days or 60 days, we were actually able to renew those emergency visas all throughout the year. I think it, they ended up stopping that January of this year or December of last year, something like that. So I left in December. So I pretty much stayed until I, until I had to leave. Yeah. So it was great. It was so cool just being able to like hang there for a year and, you know, meet people from everywhere. And like I said, yeah, I, you know, I ended up becoming like a certified diver. I ended up hiking like crazy volcanoes. I ended up becoming a yoga teacher, <laughs> super random. Um, wow. I just wanted to do, yeah. I just wanted to do a retreat, you know, but I ended up like finding this like yoga teacher certification and it was like 700 bucks for three weeks. And I was like, Hey, let me go ahead and like do this you know, uh, do this yoga certification, you know, just to kind of like get some good exercise, you know, do some meditative things, think about my life, what I want to do next. And it was just an excellent way, you know, to wrap up my Indonesia experience before I ended up heading out to Europe. So yeah, just awesome. 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 Can't speak uh, about the experience. It's so interesting to hear all these stories of how being stuck unexpectedly somewhere due to the pandemic just changed everybody's lives in so many different ways. And it I sounds know. like you you were already on that kind of journey with nature and with yourself. And it's so cool that you got to extend that for another year and with no other yes. choice really that, you know, you, you were forced to stay. And that's, it's incredible that you took an opportunity like that and learned so many new things. Absolutely. And people were like, you know, were you scared that, you know, to be stuck there? And I'm just like, no, I mean, I was, hanging out with people from all walks of life. And they became like my little second family. Like we ended up like, you know, bouncing around to a bunch of the different islands and, you know, meeting um, so many locals and just like, just integrating ourselves more into the culture. And it was just like a completely wild circumstance that I don't know would have happened, you know, if I would have done the, you know, 30 day visa or 60 day visa. So very cool. Very cool. Um. So glad to hear you're integrating more. I think that from what I understand, I, I heard that fears about being in Bali during the pandemic were based around, in Indonesia, were based around like, well, if you're on an island and you run out of resources, are you know, you going to start fighting with the people around you or the locals for the resources? Did you find any of that to be true? 
you know what's really funny is you would think that, right? But I I really think it's just the perspective of the individuals and of the culture because when I went into like the little grocery stores and things like that, I never saw a shortage. I never saw a shortage of toilet paper or anything like that. But I was kind of seeing that stuff happen in the United States. And it was just odd to me because I don't feel as though they live like with the ideology of, of scarcity. They live with the ideology of like community, you know, even people in the remote locations, like they farm their food, you know, they share with each other, you know, when they, when they don't have that much, they, they make it work, you know, even when they're living in poverty, they're, they're, they're still making it work. They still have their little like huts set up, you know, on the beach and they have these beautiful views and they're there with their friends and their family, you know? So it's just, I didn't really experience any, you know, real feelings of, of scarcity there. You know, I didn't, I feel like they're really connected with their higher power and they feel that their higher power is going to take care of them ultimately. You know, I, I feel like it's a very, um, you know, religious, religious area, you know, they're really connected to their higher power in that way. Um, where I don't feel like they felt that scarcity, even in, even in the height of the pandemic, but I don't know, I can't speak for an entire culture. That was just my perception. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, I, I, there's a lot of elements of, I'm sure the community spirit that is, is always going to, in those type of communities come through because they're used to being close to each other. They're used to interacting with each other in the community. Yeah. I think much more so than a lot of us from the Western countries have, have become these days. So I'm glad that you yeah. got to experience that. And yeah, and then you left and, and then you came back to the U.S. from Indonesia. Oh, no, then I left and I ended up traveling around to, let's see, where did I go first? Okay, I went to the U.K. Uh, for a couple of weeks to quarantine. Um, so I traveled throughout Europe for a few months. I went to U.K. for a couple of weeks to quarantine because I couldn't find another way to get into Europe um, at the moment. I had heard like um, of people being blocked in Portugal, which is the first location that I wanted to go. So I never actually made it there. So I went to the UK, then I went to France, then down to Italy, and then I ended up going back to France and leaving. So I saw, uh, you know, London, which I've been to before, went to Paris, Lyon, uh, Milano, and it was just like a super cool experience to kind of spend more time in Europe. And I hope that I'm able to do so. I hope that I get hired onto one of these roles. I actually am interviewing with a couple of uh, big tech companies and yeah, trying to make my way back over there. And if it works, that would be awesome. And if not, I'm probably going to hang in LA for a little, a little while longer. <laughs> Interesting. So this whole experience of being overseas, starting with quitting your job and, and getting into nature in the US, it's all kind of made you decide that you want to be based in Europe and kind of not be in the U.S. for too much longer for the time being? Yeah, I think it's just one of those things where I don't have any ties. You know, I don't have any ties to the U.S. I don't have a home or a car or like really any possessions. When I came back um, to the U.S. and initially from Europe, I was I went back to Austin and I completely cleared out my storage locker and I just gave everything away. I was like, OK, whatever can fit in my two suitcases and a carry on is what's coming with me. So I pretty much just took my clothing and some of my hiking stuff um, and yeah, and just gave everything else away. And so I'm pretty much ready um, as soon as I, as soon as I get the word, I'm, I'm going to my next, my next destination. And I feel like, you know, I'm able to do that because I, I don't have any commitments here. And I have a feeling, you know, I'll end up in the United States when all is said and done, probably in California, because my family is here. 
And so I just want to take more time to kind of explore like so much good came out of the last two years of my life, really taking this time for myself. You know, I I don't want that to end. (laughs) I love that you took so much time for yourself and so much of it in nature. I mean, what is it about hiking that you love so much? Um, I feel like there's just a lot of peace in it. Like, you know, hearing the wind blow through the trees, seeing like the beautiful uh, backdrops of the mountains, you know, seeing animals and things like that. I feel like that just brings me down to my center. And, you know, in taking that time for myself and seeing this beautiful nature, getting my kind of endorphins going by hiking and moving my body. I just feel like it just gives me, it gives me a lot of clarity and peace of mind. Um, yeah. So I, I found that, you know, I find that very easily. It's almost second nature to me when I'm, when I'm outside of the city, you know, I'm not thinking about traffic or work or, <laughs> you know, and kind of any of the, of the daily stressors. I'm, I'm out and I'm, I'm out in my element and, you know, I just find a lot of peace there. Yeah, I can definitely feel that. And I, I hope that people now that there's a lot more remote work happening and people can move from place to place, hopefully easier within their own countries. Um, I hope that people can start to appreciate nature more once they can get back out of their homes and start moving around again. Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, after being cooped up, you know, for so long. I mean, I, I didn't have that experience, but I know a lot of people did. And I I'm sure people are ready to get out and about and see each other and spend time with their friends and people that they care about and what a better, what a better place to do it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, maybe people aren't ready yet to do all of the national parks in six months, but I think that, (laughs) you know, it's so inspiring to hear that you, you did this yourself on your own and you still like, I don't know, I haven't asked you if you had any difficulties doing that. It sounds like it was just such a rewarding experience, but I mean, would you recommend people to do this? even on their own, if they're just worried about even starting? Oh, man. I I mean, you know, everybody has their journey, right? Everybody has their different flavor of what they like. I, I adore being in nature. I adore the national parks. And, you know, everything lined up in my situation to where I could go through that once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I didn't have to wait until retirement to do it. So, I mean, I would say if you have the opportunity, yeah, you know, um, why not, like, I have a friend, uh, she, I was actually traveling with her in Indonesia and she came back to the States and she's hopping to a bunch of the different parks as well. And I, I don't know that she'll visit all of them, but, you know, just seeing the photos that she's posting, I'm like, oh, it sparks so much good energy within me. It's just these parks are just, you know, so beautiful and just a, a place to really like, you know, like I was just saying, to find clarity and, and focus and to kind of get yourself centered and um, and yeah, so if you have if you have the the, the means and the and the time to do it, you know, certainly do so or go to Indonesia. Also also a good backup plan. (laughs) Well, Ashley, thank you so much for sharing this incredible journey with us. And I'm really excited to hear what you do next. And I really hope you can get to Europe and start living the dream there. And um, if people want to reach out to and follow your adventures, where can they go? Um, You can follow me. Sorry, I've got a helicopter above me. He's like, they circling around me. Just keep doing donuts right above me. Um, palm trees and helicopters. Um, they can reach me at Bear Nomadic. Um, that's my Instagram. And I also um, am on Facebook as Bear Nomadic as well. So yeah, either way is just fine by me. All right. Thank you so much. 
Yes, absolutely. Great and to I talk look to you. forward. For- I will. Thank you to talk to you, and I look forward to hiking with you in the future. As yes, well. we've got to make that happen. Definitely. Hopefully, Yosemite. Yes, it sounds amazing. Thank you, Ashley, for sharing your incredible journey with us and post-hiking adventures in Asia. I don't know about you listeners, but I am definitely feeling inspired to get out and hike. And since now it's officially summer, it feels like the perfect time to start planning your next visit into nature. I will put the links to Ashley's Instagram and a list of all of the national parks, how to get your national parks pass, and more information on Earthships on theschooloftravels.com. Stay tuned for our next episode where we are going to move from hiking to sailing for an interview with the man who finally achieved his childhood dream during the pandemic of buying and moving onto his own boat. You won't want to miss it. Until next time, listeners, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money.